Thanks, Rob. Uh, and thank you to the people who texted me throughout the week and said, you know, we're praying for you and different people have, have been... Um, I've seen, seen you maybe during, during the week in the office or something like that. And it's really, um, really nice to have the support of the community saying, oh, we're praying for you, we're really looking forward to next Sunday. So I've just got to get myself kind of set up here for a second. So why don't you turn to the person next to you, say hello, say welcome. We've had a lot to kind of process, so just have a little downtime for a second and uh, I'll just kind of fix things. Alrighty. Now I've got to somehow get you all back again. That's always the challenge, isn't it? Hey, that works. Yeah, a bit of whistling. So, thank you. <laughs> um, you might remember last week we, we launched into Colossians and we just looked at chapter 1. Um, not even the whole chapter, because this book is super dense. Um, but let me just kind of recap we, we touched on the context of the book, so we said, okay, it's, it's a letter from Paul, um, it's to a church in Colossae, I guess that's how you pronounce it. Um, he's never met them before, but he knows the guy, he works with the guy who planted the church. Okay? His major concern and all that, he, he gets down into two major topics in the first chapter. The first one is the supremacy of Christ, and we've had that kind of... Uh, reminded to us again this fantastic, amazing, um, incredible God who comes down to earth in Christ and how he is greater and bigger and more powerful and above everything that we can experience on earth here. Um, so he, he goes to the supremacy of Christ. We need to get that. And then he says, and you need to understand the gospel as well. And that is that uh, we were uh, in sin, but Christ died for our sin and when we put our faith in him we can experience complete freedom and salvation which is fantastic so those are the two things that we touched on last week Um, this week we're going to kind of grab a bit of a longer section so it's going to be a bit more of a challenge I hope you're kind of ready for it Uh, but we're looking at kind of from chapter 2 verse 6 all the way through to chapter 3 verse 15 so there's a, a pretty solid amount of text there Unlike last week, I'm not going to um, step through it quite as verse by verse. Uh, so you'll, I'll put them all up there, but you'll need to kind of um, give me some leeway to skip some bits because there's just so much here that we could get into and uh, I'd have you here till the end of the day. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. I had a friend, um, or I have a friend. He's still my friend, thankfully. Uh, he's a brickie and um, one day we were moving bricks somewhere we were helping helping out another guy at his house and he was telling me about his work about what he does um, and he was telling me how uh, when you're building a wall when you're building a, a house whatever it is it's absolutely critical that you get this bottom line of bricks perfect because as you go up you build layer 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 and then you hit a window frame if you're kind of off kilter a little bit you're going down a hill or you're not level uh but you want your window to be level, you're going to kind of get this, this gap and you're in a world of hurt. What are you going to do? Are you Are going to dismantle your wall and start again or are you going to try and chisel tiny little slivers of brick and slot them in there or are you just going to have a gap? Um, he said it's, there's nothing worse than kind of discovering once you're a little bit into a job because he builds houses. So, you know, you can imagine a whole length of a house, he's getting along and then he discovers, oh, somehow we've, 
we've gone off track. It's not good news. Um, in the same way, when we're looking at um, what does it mean, the Christian faith, how do we live it as a community, um, our foundation is just absolutely critical. And if we can get that right, then everything we build on top of it is going to be solid as well. Get it wrong, and we're going to kind of go off all wonky. Um, as Paul starts to kind of dig into some more practical concerns, you're going to notice that he never strays far from the foundation he set in chapter 1. He never strays too far from the supremacy of Christ and the gospel. And he's going to keep coming back to it. And you, you, I hope you're going to notice that, that as we're going through, basically every time he says something, he'll hook it back into the gospel. Or he'll hook it back into the supremacy of Christ because he really wants us and he really wanted the church in, in Colossae to get it. So I hope that um, we're going to be on the lookout for those things. Uh, we jump in at kind of verse... Victory. Look at that. Isn't that great when things work? Um, we're going to look at um, starting at 2.6 and uh, let me read this to you. Oh. Yeah, that's right. So things are... We have liftoff. Um, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness, And see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. uh, Sorry, that's different. (laughs) Uh, Which depends, or don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And so you are complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. Sorry, I have a slight discrepancy here because I think I went to two versions during my preparation. Um, Just listen to me, don't don't worry about that. Um, So what is is Paul's concern here? His concern is that the the Colossian church, they're going to be captured by this empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. And I think captured is a fantastic word because they're going to be bound up in it. It's going to restrain them. It's going to keep them from the freedom. So... captured in freedom is going to keep them from the freedom that they should be experiencing in the gospel Um, he's basically saying just watch out and it's not necessarily that um, we're going to be you know have someone walk in the door and be like let me tell you um, some new second gospel that you know you've never heard before and we'll be like oh that's ridiculous we know not to listen to you it's much more subtle than that um Part of it is uh, there are these teachings that float around. Hello, we've lost, we've lost control. Hmm. We'll just try that again, shall we? <laughs> if you would, yeah. Hmm. I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm getting no display detected. But don't stress. I'll just work from... We don't need the slides anyway. Um, so he's saying... Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, I'll keep going. It's, it's no problem. By the way, it's not the text fault. No. They're, they're right on top. Where was I? So he, he's, he's worried that someone's going to come in and basically convince them very subtly to adopt some beliefs that are contrary or in addition to the gospel in terms of how do, you, how do you be holy, how do you get right with God, how do you find satisfaction in life, how do you find fulfillment. 
Um, and we have these same influences pushing and pulling on us here in Australia today. You know, we are steeped in Australian culture. Um, like, like a fish isn't really aware of the wetness of the water around it, we are constantly sitting in this droning buzz of anti-gospel or in addition to the gospel messages of how do you find fulfilment, how do you find satisfaction in life. Um, it's that, that voice of materialism that is on every time you switch on the TV, every time you open a magazine, every time you read a book, every time you go down the street and you see billboards, every time you see your neighbour and they have a flashier car than you. It is this voice of materialism that is constantly just going, the way to satisfaction is get more stuff, the way to satisfaction is get more stuff, get more stuff, get more stuff. That voice is just there all the time. And we think we're tuning it out, we think we're not listening, but we are definitely taking it on board. That is part and parcel of living in Australia. As that voice of hedonism, if you, if you, or hedonism, depending on your preferred pronunciation, um, if you're not sure what that means, it, it's basically the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate goal of life. And tell me we don't see that every day. You know, we're, we're being told that um, you've got to eat the best food, um, you've got to drive the best car, you've got to have the best stuff because that will give you the most pleasure in life. You've got to have the best relationships. You've got to have a significant other. You've got to have, you've got to have all these things. Otherwise, you're not really getting the most out of life. And your life, if you're not getting the most pleasure, is being wasted. That's the message that we are just constantly having, just buzzing in our heads behind us. But it's all contrary to the gospel, isn't it? So that's, that, that's the sort of influences that Paul's talking about. They may not have had those specific messages. They had other messages about, oh, you've got to, you've got to adopt these practices or you've got to um, see these holidays and, and whatever it is, these religious things. But it, but it is the message that Jesus isn't quite enough to get you to God. Jesus isn't quite enough to get you the fullness of life. And the thing is, so that's, that's empty philosophies, isn't it? But the thing is, there's also high-sounding nonsense. I love that term, high-sounding nonsense. And uh, that is just as, just as present today. Uh, and that's, that's, that sort of stuff comes from within the church. It comes from each other. And it, it's quite bizarre to think that, but um, haven't we all at some point been uh, exposed to the message that if you really want to know God, if you really want to honour him, if you really want to understand him, then you need to read this particular translation or you need to worship using this particular music or belong to this particular denomination. You need to uh, have read these particular theologians or adopt this particular position. These are human rules. This is high-sounding nonsense that comes between us and our relationship with Christ and puts up barriers and says, oh, yeah, Jesus is good, but on top of that, if you're not doing these things as well, you're not really cutting it. You're not really making it there. And so Paul's concern is that we're going to get caught up in that, that the church that he's writing to is going to get caught up in that and he wants us to be on our guard. Um, Like I said before, it's something that we are just constantly bombarded by. So the question is then, if you can't step out of it, because even if you leave Australia, you would carry these things with you. They're part of our DNA out of living here. And there's nowhere in the world that you can find that you're going to be able to live free of uh, 
anti-gospel messages coming from society. So how do we combat it? We can't escape it. How do we fight it? And Paul says in that verse that we can't see anymore, it's back. Oh my goodness, it's back. Uh, If we go to the next slide, um, it says, let your roots grow down in him and your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. Then it drops a little bit and says, for in Christ, the fullness of God lives in human body and you are complete through your union in Christ. His answer is we come back to that foundation. Um, We remind ourselves of the absolute supremacy of God, the amazingness of God, um, his awe-inspiring nature, the fact that he uh, is outside of our ability to comprehend that our best thoughts about him fall completely short. And we just think, that is incredible, it is mind-boggling, and then we try and put it in the context of, and he came and he died for us. And it just, that's how we get back to that foundation. That's how we combat those messages. We understand, hey, there is nothing better, nothing bigger than that. Um, On Friday night, the youth got together and we watched this DVD. Thanks, Steve. Um, This is is a, a series of sermons by an American pastor named Louis Giglio and he does one in there called Indescribable. And in that... um, he goes through basically the bigness of space, the bigness of the universe, and he's talking about things that are billions of miles across and, and distances that just we cannot comprehend. We can't comprehend things in our physical world, let alone God. So he wants us to really grasp how small we are, just, you know, how tiny, and in, in the scope of the universe and the, in the size of it, just how insignificant our planet our individuality is and and louis says um he's not trying to make us feel small he wants us to understand that we are small Uh, we are small we are tiny and then he says he puts up a picture of jesus on the cross and he says so in light of that basically in light of that how much more incredible is it that the god who breathes life into stars and planets and can step across expanses that are billions of miles across without so much as a thought. God who sits outside the universe and all creation because he made it. How amazing is that, that he would die for us considering how small we are. This is how we keep ourselves from being captured up in the world. We get context. Um, let Let me read a few verses here about... Paul's explanation of the gospel. Um, I'm not going to explain this too much because I think he explains it so well. This is his this is his encapsulation of the gospel. And I just love it. He says, "You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful na- and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away." That's a reference to circumcision, which, as Rob was talking about, the old the old system, the old way of doing things before Christ. That was how God and people of Israel had said this is how we'll mark ourselves and this will be symbolic of our holiness. This will be how everyone knows that we are set apart. That's what holy means, set apart. So that's what he's saying, before your sinful nature was cut away um, then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins um, and now sorry, this is always different. I'm having trouble here. <laughs> 
So you were dead because of your sins and because sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. And in this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. That's incredible. I love, I love that last line, he shamed them publicly. All these... Thanks, David. I'm getting a lot of extra help this week. It's really nice. I feel like it's a team effort. Um, he shamed them publicly. You know, these influences, these things that want to drag us away from, from God, want to drag us away from Christ, um, want to influence us uh, towards other priorities in life. It says he just smashed them. And all the things that we hold in our heart and we say, I'm guilty of this, I'm guilty of this. When we put our faith in Christ, he takes all our sin and he nails it to the cross and it says he just destroys it. He just destroys it. I love that. So from there, Paul delves into the sorts of things and influences that will conspire to rob the Colossian church of its freedom in Christ. The things that he's worried will capture them. And he says, in summation... Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat and drink or for not celebrating holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules were only shadows of the real thing, Christ himself. Only shadows. And again, that's exactly what Rob touched on with his communion, that the old system, our other ways of doing things, our human rules, they're just shadows. Christ is the real thing. And you know, sometimes it can be think, tempting to think uh, I need to kind of impose rules on myself or upon others in order to kind of get to know God better. After all, if God is perfect, if God is absolutely just perfect, wouldn't he be impressed if I tried to be perfect too? Right? So uh, he must be impressed if I can really just focus and get it all right. Follow the rules and just have the most self-discipline, never get anything wrong, always be on top of my game. That's what God wants, isn't it? He wants me to be perfect like him. And Paul describes that sort of thinking. He describes that sort of strict discipline. He says, these rules might seem wise because they they require strong devotion, humility and severe bodily discipline. They might seem wise but they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. In other words, you can put all the rules on yourself and on others that you like and you will change people's behaviour. You can change your own behaviour but you are only attacking the symptoms. You are not getting to the root and the root is a sinful heart and we can't change that. And no amount of our self-imposed rules are going to deal with that problem. Um, I have a theory that God gives us uh, things in our lives, important moments in our lives, um, but he gives them to us sometimes in such a way that it it keeps us humble. And um, I have this theory because it applies to me and I figure I'm the template for the world. So... um, there was a there was a watershed moment in my in my Christian walk, which you know has become a critical part of my testimony in a, in a way in describing where I was at one point in my life, and um, unfortunately it happened while I was sitting on the toilet, 
And so now this is locked into the history of my life, this point. Um, so I'm not going to describe what I was doing there, but if you haven't realised this already, the toilet is an amazing place to just sit and have a think. No one will disturb you. No one's going to walk in and ask what you're doing, thankfully. You've got the space to yourself. And so as a 13-year-old, I, I found this great. I could sit and just ponder the great enormity of life and just sit and have a think. And um, I was sitting there and, and I was rationalising to myself, of all things, I was rationalising to myself why I didn't need to read the Bible. This was my, this was my topic for the day. And um, I was thinking, what is the purpose of the Bible? The purpose of the Bible is to tell us how to live, to tell us how God wants us to live. So, if I know how God wants me to live, then the Bible's kind of played its part, right? And so, in my head, I, I was kind of thinking, so, he wants me to be good, so I'll just be good. How hard can that be? And in my head, I even had this example. I thought, and I, pick, I, I can still picture this imaginary person today. I thought, if this guy comes up to me, and he's in his big brown trench coat with his long greasy hair and he says, Hey kid, you want to buy some drugs? I'll say no. And you know why? Because I'm a Christian. And that was, that was the depth of my, my understanding of what Christ wanted from my life. It was just to be good, don't do bad things. And that's exactly the type of thinking that Paul is attacking right here. He's saying it's more than just the rules. And even if, even if you could perfectly live out your life in terms of your behaviour was just spot on all the time, you are still going to miss the mark because it does not tackle your heart. It does not, you, you cannot work hard enough to become perfect. It's not possible. So he describes a different way of living. Um, one not so focused on beating our human evil selves into submission and going, ha ha, I've become perfect, but instead embracing uh, the reality that we have a whole new life in Christ, completely different and new. And he says we can take that up and we can, we can live that. So we'll jump over to chapter 3 and this is quite a large slab of text. So what I'm going to do is I'm basically going to kind of Pick, pick the bits that I say, so to speak. Oh, I've gone one too far. Engage. Initiate. Begin. Activate. Come on, activate. Mm, that's all right. It's me. I'm, I struggle with PowerPoint. That's fine. You know what? That's fine. Um, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, 
since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on your new self which is renewed in the image of its creator. Here there's no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I'll get to the other bits later. Um, Paul grabs like three or four fantastic things about what it means to live this new life in Christ. And I'm just going to go through them one by one. He says, fix your mind and your heart on things above, on Christ, on things of heaven. Um, I've seen this bumper sticker going around, you know, Eltham, Greensboro area. It's a, an ad for organ donation and it says "Become something like, become an organ donor, heaven knows we need them here. And I think that's really clever. I think that's really good. And it and actually sums up a lot of what Paul is saying here. He's saying, yes, fix your eyes on Christ, fix your eyes on heaven, but that doesn't mean you become... Um, inoculated or immune to the, the things that are happening around you, to the pain and the suffering and the need. You don't become immune to the, the joy and the enjoyment of this life. You don't become immune to just living in this world and getting to know people and having relationships. It's not one or the other. It's taking all those things that exist, that make up our existence here on earth and viewing them through the lens of knowing Christ and making that the prism through which we see every aspect of our lives. That's what he means when he says, fix your heart and mind on things of heaven. Um, I, I think it's easy to imagine us kind of walking around, looking down at our feet. Our eyes are on the world, which literally is beneath me right now. My eyes are on the world, my eyes are on me, my eyes are on anything in this kind of immediate vicinity. Could be money, could be worry, could be work, could be family self is in there, you know, you get the picture. That's the complete opposite of what we want to be, but it's often where we end up is just focused straight down, focused on ourselves, focused on that immediateness of life. Um, Paul's saying, no, fix your eyes on Christ, fix your eyes on the things of heaven and see all, all the things around you through that. He says, put to death your old life, that is, have nothing to do with it. Now, is that what I was describing before about when I was having my moment on the toilet, you know, just be good? Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying you can't, you can't live sin-free. You can't be somehow perfect. However, he describes this whole life here about the things we get rid of and the new things we take up and he's saying that is not the reward for being a good guy. You know, it's not that if I'm a good guy, then I will have kindness, then I will have humility, then I will have gentleness, then basically I'll be clothed with Christ once I'm nice enough, once I'm good enough. He's actually saying there is a spiritual truth here. You know, we go back to his description of the gospel. My sin, my uh, old life was destroyed on the cross. I am to put it to death. I am to have nothing to do with it. And I am to take up this new self. That is my new identity. 
And from that, that is the starting point from which I tackle sin. That is the starting point from which I struggle with temptation. And when things go wrong, I don't go, oh, I've, I've become a non-Christian again. Oh no, what have I done? I say, no, there is an identity issue here. I am beloved and holy in God's eyes. And because of that, I need to deal with whatever it is. But this is not who I am. It's something I need to deal with. So it's a change of identity. And that's what Paul is saying here. Our new identity fuels, fuels our ability to combat sin. So we put that to death. We put to death our old life. And he says we've got to take up our new self. Um, and it's characterised by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness towards one another and love towards one another. Pretty good, huh? There's something here, though, that is critical, and I didn't see it till someone pointed it out to me. Um, it's that this whole chapter, this whole book, the way that we understand it, and this is why all that context stuff is important, the way we understand it is it's written to a church. So these things, these are not written as instructions for our personal holiness or our personal journey with Christ. They're actually written for us as a community, for our journey with Christ, for the way we are going to interact with each other. So that changes how we see it. No longer is it this kind of nebulous idea, oh, you should be more forgiving. Just try and be more forgiving. It becomes a direct instruction. If there is someone in this room that has hurt you or you have a problem with or you have a grievance with, he is directly instructing us just as he was directly instructing the Colossian church you need to forgive them and you need to forgive as Christ forgave you if you have a problem loving the people here then you need to love them because it binds us together in unity you need to display these traits these virtues here this is to be our identity and when people come in here and they come in for the first time and they get to know us the thing that they walk away with on their mind is should be, oh, they are very compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. That is our characteristics, not my characteristics or your characteristics to be taken in a, in a little bubble off by ourselves where I'm just worried about am I holy enough for Jesus? It's how are we operating as a church, as a family? Because that is the unit that... God is dealing with through this, through this letter. That's the size he's dealing with. Um, I'll let Paul's words kind of sum up here and then I'll pray. Here's how we're supposed to be. If we're putting to death rage and malice and ungodly talk and slander and gossip and judgmentalism and whatever it is, all the things that he lists up there, if we're putting to death those things, let's have Paul have the final word on how we should be. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And here's a really key bit. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray.
Father, thank you that um, in Christ you have given us a new life. And it's not just a new life for me or a new life for each of us as individuals. It's a new life that we experience as a community. It is our church identity. Thank you that it is so amazing that we don't need to fight for holiness. We don't need to earn your forgiveness through our goodness. But instead, you died on the cross and in dying on the cross, you destroyed even just the record of our sin. It's all gone. And we can adopt this new identity and we can live glorifying you through our lives. I just pray that as we reflect on what does this mean for us, what does this mean for how we relate to one another, that we will submit every aspect of our relationship here, our relationships amongst each other to you, and that we will be willing to fully give ourselves over to you. I pray that um, I pray that you will be constantly renewing our relationship with you and taking us out of these anti-gospel messages about satisfaction and fulfilment and dropping us square into the message of Christ is enough. I just thank you, Lord, for all the good things you do in this community's life and the great people that you've put here to make this place up. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we'll honour you with our lives. Amen.